Hey, I got a picture this morning. Uh, let me show you. This is our Montana team going out right there. I sent William Johnson, uh, our ministry partner out there at Texas. I said, look, man, I did all I could to help you, but you need to know you got five women coming your way, and they ain't playing. And uh, so that's, uh, I gave Molly a task, actually. I said, Molly, here's your task. I, I sent him a text. I said, Molly, I want your goal as your boss this week. This is your goal. Your goal is to get Sandy Watley to start an Instagram account full of selfies. And that's what I'm wanting to see. I want to see that Gen Z rub off on whatever her generation is, you know. And so we're going to see if Sandy take cleave. Because Sandy's got to take the bait. On, I want a selfie stick and all kinds of stuff with Sandy Watley. There's no telling. That would be, I would follow that Instagram account just to see what Sandy Watley would say on Instagram for sure. Um, hey, man, it's, uh, it's a great day uh, to get going. And I, we're almost through with our, our Freedom Series. And today uh, we're talking about Foundations of Freedom. And, and I want to talk to you today about a kind of a, a unique topic. You know, there's times, there's times from... From the pulpit, you, you just kind of need to, to pastor from the pulpit. You need to kind of coach the people up on something you just need to know. There, there, there's, there's times in the scriptures that you need to be reminded of things that matter. And, and they're not necessarily earth-shattering, but they're often not talked about. And today's one of those days. Today, if you'd let me, I, I just want to pastor all of us uh, from the Word of God looking at a situation that, that is often overlooked. It, just because it's a story, but I think it's a really cool story. Today, we're going to talk about accountability and how accountability looks and why it matters. And I think that one of the things, when we think about accountability, we think a lot of it in negative terms. And that's because pop culture, when, when you think about pop culture and the way our, our popular media works, or maybe even just groupthink, you know, how our how our constant sourcing of, of how our culture has the storylines over time, uh, it's, it's, just, it's one of those things where accountability takes on a negative posture sometimes in the way we look at it. And it's not, that's not a biblical idea. I think we think, look, look at this image. This is how, how I think we think accountability is looked. You, know, you see that portrayed in movie media. You see it portrayed in radio sometimes. You see it portrayed in, in the way, uh, you know, sitcoms are rolled out or, you, or documentaries, especially documentaries, man. You, you see a lot of accountability and it's more judge and it's more uh, penalization and we want people held accountable, you know, and we think of accountability that way. But I'm telling you, that's not the biblical idea. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, uh, you, you're going to do yourself a disservice, friend, if you are applying secular ideas to biblical concepts, right? Don't ever do that. Don't, don't take a secular, a secular definition and lay it over the top of a biblical concept because it doesn't work. Accountability in the, in, the, in the biblical idea, especially the New Testament, it doesn't look like weights and scales. It looks like that. Accountability looks like restoration. Accountability in the New Testament is about restoring somebody. It, it, in fact, I would go so far as to say accountability is not correcting, it's restoring. And that's really the theme I want you to get at today. I want you to understand that, that accountability, the biblical idea of accountability is not about correct. Because you know what? You can't correct behavior. You, you, you know, hey, listen, you got kids. They're, they're, you learn, like, 
there's, there's a time you can correct behavior, and then, then after a while, you realize, I, I can't be with them 24-7, man. I, I, can't, I can't force it. You, you see it going off to college, you know. We got one about 18 months from that, and you start seeing, you know, you always know, by the way, you always know who the parents are that have shipped one off to college in August or September because they're the ones crying in the lobby before church. And and it's, it's real, man. And, you're, and you see the panic of, oh, are they ready? Are they ready? Are they ready? You know, and, and the truth is, no. They're, they're, of course not. I mean, it's not possible to teach your son or daughter everything that they need to know. One of my good friends one time, Steve Chapman, Steve said, uh, Nathan, Nathan's a very famous music producer now. Uh, he said when Nathan was about four, they had a basement. And, and um, he said that basement, you know, these older ranch homes sometimes that had a basement had glass windows along the basement, along the footing in the footer. And he said one day they came home and Nathan had gently taken a hammer and just busted every one of those around the house. And, and they thought, oh, he didn't just do one. He, like, he did them all. What, what? And he said, we went right past mad to curious you know, and, we, and he said, I went to Nathan and I said, Nathan, why did you do that? He said, well, you never told me I couldn't. And he said, I went, oh, what else have I not told him he can't do? You know, no, they're not, they're not, they're not, you can't pack it all in. Right. And, and so, so the, the, the biblical idea uh, that we face, I think it, at times is it's not about, you can't correct behavior. You can't force behavior change, but you can do your best to restore. And I think, I think a lot of the times that you see Christians really not want to mess with this idea of biblical accountability, I think there's some urban myths, right? I think there's some, some, some uh, congregationally urban myths. And, and one of those, here's a phrase, well, it's, it's not my place to judge. You know, you, you hear that all the time, right? It's not my place to judge. Let me tell you something, friends. That is, a, that is a biblical phrase that the world has hijacked. The world has hijacked that phrase and applied it in ways that are in no way biblically relevant. Jesus told you, he, there's, a, there's, there's a difference. Let me, let me just, tell you, let me just take, take a, a second and just tell you, there's a difference between judging someone and making a spiritual appraisal based on what you know. Okay? See, to be, listen, let me tell you what it means to be judgmental. You ready? This is what it means to be judgmental. To be judgmental is that you fill in the blanks with half the information. Meaning, you see somebody having a really bad day. Maybe you run into somebody at, you know, the, 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 the Shell Station, or you run into them at your favorite place to eat on a Sunday. And you bump into them, and they're in a really bad mood, and you don't really know them. And then all of a sudden, for the rest of your life, you lock in, oh, that's that angry person right there. That's that angry person. Or, or maybe you get to know somebody in a small group, and they're, they're, they're not having much to say. You know, you think they're aloof. No, maybe they're going through a season of depression. But you fill in the blank with what you think you know, but you don't know. That's being judgmental. See, being judgmental is making a character assessment based on partial information. Jesus said, do not judge. But Jesus turned right around and he said to, the, to us about trees and fruit, if you see, like this is, this is the Jason version, if you see a pear tree making strawberries, something wrong. That, you're not being anti-gospel to say, ah, uh, something ain't right over there, right? 
There's some fruit missing. So, so no, this thing about judging, that, that's a missing. So I, I, who am I to judge? That, that's, no, that doesn't work there. Here's another phrase. Well, I, I, I just want to show grace. You ever hear people say that? I just want to show grace. That's another phrase, by the way, that, that I, think, I think the Christian church misunderstands that. Let me tell you what grace is not. Grace is not blanket omission of the obvious. Right? Grace is not, oh, I, I just, I don't, I don't see any of that. I don't, we're talking about, it's, it's, it's one thing for a person to sin against God. It's a whole other thing to have recurring problems, right? Recurring sin issues. I just want to show grace. Let me tell you something about grace. It is never graceful to neglect the truth. Never. That's not grace. You'll you hear people say this all the time when it comes to accountability. Here's a third one. I don't, I don't want to cause trouble, right? Ding, ding, bomb's already gone off, right? You ever been in a dysfunctional situation? You say, yeah, Jason, Monday through Friday, 8 to 4, right? <laughs> you ever been in one of those things? No, so, so sometimes, sometimes you're in dysfunctional situations. Well, I don't want to cause trouble. Let me tell you something about causing trouble. Trouble's already being caused a lot of times, let me, let me tell you something I learned early on in my ministry career. I served this church that, man, we had a lot of internal stuff going on. And boy, you sure do. I wouldn't say you learn a lot of great things to do. I think you do learn a lot of things what not to do, right? And so I learned like what not to do in situations like that. Um, but I heard so many... We had a few renegade people in that congregation. I was just a staff pastor, but we had a, we had a, a few uh, congregation issues, and, and they were led by a handful of people. And I heard so many people say, I was in my 20s, I heard so many people say, well, I, I don't want to cause trouble. I said, oh, so, so here's the reality then. The reality is they're already causing trouble. You can't cause more trouble than they're causing. But, but the, the, you, know what, you, you know why the problem is? It's not that 5 or 10% of the people are causing the issue. It's the 98% that watch it happen and never say a word. See, there's nothing biblical about that. And I, it comes from a good heart. I mean, you don't, you don't want to rip things up and stir things up, but I'm just saying the reality is accountability, accountability is a tough thing, but I don't want it to be a tough thing. I want to tell you something. We're going to talk about why accountability. Why does this matter? Why, why do we talk about accountability? Because I want to tell you something. I want to make sure that you hear me really close, though. There's no time in Scripture that we're called to be the spiritual police. Like, the world doesn't need that. And churches don't need that. You know? There's no place in the New or Old Testament where you're called to go around, you know, uh, and, you know pointing the finger all the time. And We're not called to be the spiritual police. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking, though, about times when something walks across your doormat of the entryway of your house, and now you're forced to deal with it. And so let's talk about why that matters to God, because it actually matters to God a lot. We're going to talk about accountability. We're going to talk about it from Galatians chapter 2 this morning, okay? Galatians chapter 2, and let me, let me set it up for you. It's in the New Testament. If you start in the middle and go to the right, you'll hit Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, kind of right in there. Um, it's kind of toward the two-thirds end of your, your Bible after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's, it'll be after the Gospels. Uh, if you're on a, a, a tablet, then uh, I'm, I'm, if you want to follow the same version I'm reading from, it's the New American Standard, NASB, uh, New American Standard Bible. So here, here's the situation, okay? You got Paul and Peter, okay? So these two, so hey, here, by the way, church, like, if accountability is good enough for Paul and Peter, like if those two dudes can square off, I think we're in the clear, right? 
Because I, I want to tell you something. I would have kind of loved to have been there for that conversation. Because you, if, you, if you're into disc profiles, you know, you know you got like, you got two alpha leaders right there, buddy. Like the, the fact, I mean, Peter's been known to pull out a sword. I mean, as in for real. You know, everybody says he cut that dude's ear off. No, he missed that night in the garden, right? He missed. He mi- I'm, No, I'm not kidding. He missed. He was trying to straight up kill a brother that was trying to kill Jesus. And he, he, I mean, he wasn't going to let nobody arrest Jesus. You know, and, you know, so then you got Paul who, I don't know. I mean, that guy got, you know, shipwrecked, bitten by vipers, not scared of nobody. And those, those two guys are kind of, so that you got this story of, of what's happening right here. So let me, tell you what, let me tell you what was going down. Let me give you a little context. So Peter had had a vision from God in the book of Acts that reads about it. And you, t- you can read about it. And, and so, so, so Peter was Jew, okay? So when Jesus came on the scene, he opened the doors, that now anybody could, could, could come into the covenant of God's love. And so, so Peter was like, oh, wow. I mean, that was a big step. It was accepting people that his... You got to think about something, right? Imagine from the time you're a little kid, you've been told you, you can deal with these people, but you, like all these... All, we're gonna, we got center court line on this thing. Okay, so all these people over here, all of y'all were taught from the time you were a little kid that this circle, green light. All those people over there, red light. Mm-mm. Can't, can't, don't talk to them. Don't get near them. Don't, 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 don't walk with them. Don't talk with them. They're not for you. So all of a sudden, God shares with Peter, hey, no, Peter, it's everybody. Jesus came to be the Savior of all. Oh, so now he's got this thing washed over him where now, now he's, he's told to accept. So he starts doing that, right? And he's doing that, and he's, and he's, and he's accepting everybody, and, and, and there's a table of fellowship all of a sudden. But now, James comes in with a few friends, and they're Jews. And so Peter, who used to be over on this side of the crowd, used to now, he would have been mingling over here, hanging out with y'all, you know, going to Chick-fil-A and doing all the things you like to do, going to ball games, going to movies, and, you know, going to see anybody play ball, whatever. And then, but then James shows up, and all of a sudden, Peter's like, oh, no, I, I, I can't, I, I got to stay on this side over here. That's kind of the context of it. Oh, I can't because they're, 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 that, that's the Jewish people. We, we're not going to hang out with the non-Jewish people, even though we're all Christians. And that's the background of the story. So let's pick it up. Here we go, verse 11. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. And when, when Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul talking, by the way. Paul wrote the letter to the, to the church at Galatia. This is a letter that was written to a church. But when Peter came to Antioch, and I opposed him to his face... Because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with Gentiles, that is, non-Jews. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. Circumcision was a kind of a dividing line there. So the rest of the Jews, verse 13, the rest of the Jews joined him in the hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away. By their hypocrisy. So when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, in the presence of everyone, if you, being like a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Let me give you a street level version of translating that. Hypocrite. 
So when they're not around, you hang out with everybody. But when they are around, you act like a whole different person. That, that's the bottom line. See, it, y'all, hey, does it not make you feel better, by the way? Hey, seriously, everybody, like, listen for a minute. Does that not make you feel better? Like, we don't ever really leave high school. <laughs> it, I mean, seriously. Like, you think we grow up. We don't. You know, we really don't. And that's a good thing because drama is all around us all the time. So what's, why does this matter? Here's, why, why does accountability matter to God? Let me walk you through it real quick, okay? Here's the first truth. Real love restores for the person's protection. When it comes to holding someone accountable, or someone, by the way, holding you accountable, it's done for the protection of the person. Real love, remember I told you that, what did I tell you about accountability? It's not about correcting. God's never called you to be the spiritual police. God's never called you to go looking around, under rocks, looking, you know, going in, investigating stuff, sticking your nose in business. It's not yours to stick your nose in. That's not biblical. But we are called when it crosses our path and, it, and it, it's influencing our lives, we are called to deal with it. So why do you do it? Because real love is about restoring. And we restore for the person's protection. All right? Look at what, in, in, later on in this book, Paul writes in, in Galatians 6.1, look at this verse. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You see that word gently? Notice he didn't say correct them harshly. He said restore them gently. Now, now listen, that doesn't mean you have to go in soft-spoken and like, you know, oh, I don't, you know and speak in code and all that. I, I, no, no, no. Here's what I'm saying. It, it's not... It's not about getting, this is really important for y'all to understand. It's not important about getting the behavior right. You can't, you can't force behavior. It's not about getting the behavior. It's not about correcting the behavior. It's about correcting their understanding of the gospel. And that's different. Okay? Let me tell you why that's different. If you look at what and Paul gives that away. This is a really important verse, man. Look at what Paul said in verse 14. But when I saw that they, that's, that's Peter, Barnabas, and a few others. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. You see, what Peter was doing right there is he was painting a picture of the gospel that wasn't accurate. And that's why Paul had to confront him. He couldn't let that go on. He, he couldn't just let it go on. He couldn't let it go on because he understood that real love doesn't neglect. Re- real love just refuses to neglect. It's, listen to me, Christian friend. Listen to me, all of you over in the chapel. Real love refuses to neglect. There's nothing loving about neglect. It's why, I've got two boys, it's why when they were growing up and they did something that was out of bounds, why did they get in trouble? Sometimes they got things taken away, sometimes they had, you know, deep conversations, if you want to call them that, with mom or dad, you know, and sometimes, yep, they got spanked, you know, that's the bottom line. Why? Because, well, pain And bad decisions always go together, don't they? You know what I've learned at 49 years old? Pain 
and bad decisions always go together. And when life spanks you, it hurts harder than any spanking my daddy ever gave me, man. Right? And I grew up in the 70s, baby. All right? Those were not belts. No. Those were razor disco buckle strap things. Like they were that wide. My daddy's belt, he, I don't think he only spanked me once or twice with a belt. But I, I kid you not, it, it covered from the top of my head to the bottom of my heels, man. You talk about PTSD, man. Listen, this is a true story. This is at the end of my sermon notes, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. It's going to turn into group therapy for just a minute. This, this, Cole was probably two or three years old. We were getting dressed for a hunt one time in the garage. And uh, dad was, you know, changing out clothes, and I was changing out clothes, and I'm grown man. I got a four, I got a five-year-old son, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, you know that sound the belt makes when it comes out of the loops? I just ran. I just took off. Like I noticed, like three, I noticed like three steps. I was like, boom, create distance, right? Because you just know, create distance. That sound triggered like a 35-year-old emotion that I that I didn't know was down in there, but it was, right? No, sometimes correction matters. But why in the world would, would my dad do that with me? Why, why, why do I care enough? It's because my dad, let me tell you what my daddy did. And my mom too. My, my mom was a, time for a minute, my mom was a switch person. Whew, for the love of God. And those things, man, those things were, I don't know which, those switches, they stung, man. I think mama got me with like once or twice. That was all it took, man. I, I was like, I'm going to do right by mom the rest of my life. But, but I learned, looking back on it, mom and dad loved me too much to let me go through life thinking that life had no boundaries. You step outside the boundaries, son, you're going to get hurt in life. So I'm going to help you now. See, I think my dad understood, although he never said it this way. I think my mom and dad understood. If, if you let them step outside the boundaries when they're six, they're going to break your heart when they're 16. A lot of times. And you know what? Sometimes you do everything right, parents. Sometimes you do everything right, and they still step outside the boundaries when they're 16 or 26 or 36. That's just the reality. You do the best you can. And many of you, you've done the best you can, but I'm just telling you, you do it because you love. And, that's, and it's, it's, it's no different in the church. In the church, we, I think what Peter was doing with Paul and what Paul was doing with Peter was Paul like, look, man, like there's a bigger issue at stake here. It's about what we believe in the gospel. And here's why. Because, see, the gospel, the gospel of truth, notice he said they weren't straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Why does what we believe matter? Because what you believe fuels how you live. See, what you actually believe is a driving force of how you play it out. So, so Paul understood for Peter's own personal protection. I got to confront this. Here's a, here's a second one, though. The second one is real love restores. Now, go, go back. You had it. Real love restores for the fellowship's protection. Real love restores for the fellowship's protection. It wasn't just about Peter's protection. So the second truth I want you to write down about why accountability matters, real love restores for the fellowship's protection. There was a bigger issue at stake. They were having a meeting in Antioch, and, and it was about churches and it mattered because if, if this had gone on, real toxicity was going to set in. I, I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Look at what he said. 1 Corinthians 12. He said, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You see, when something... I just gave you an illustration about something I experienced 20-something years ago in a church... Why did that church have so many internal issues? Because it had, been, it had gone on for so long. And people just sat there like it wasn't happening. 
And when you, have, when you have people stepping outside of the boundaries of life, you think that doesn't cause real damage? It causes real damage, man. Let me show you. Like, let me just show you kind of how this works, right? So um, all of our camera people, they hate it when I go off script. So I'm going to tell you, I'm about to come off this stage. I'm giving you all a heads up, all right? So let's say you got a person. This is a, an Easton S650. I remember buying this bat. Uh, it was a good bat at the time. It's kind of dull now, kind of dead. Uh, drop three, if you, for those of you that that stuff matters to, right? But um, if, let's say you got a person who has rampant sexual sin in their life. I've been watching a documentary over the last few days in the sports world about a sports figure that this would have applied to. And so if that person, if that person, let's say, and let's say their, their patterns of being out of bounds, it's just nobody ever talks about it, right? And nobody ever wants to deal with it. Y'all getting real nervous right now, aren't you? Yeah. Why? You think that person's one behavior isn't going to hit and bruise other people? Absolutely it is. See, it's, an, um, it's, it's, an, it's, it's, it's not a good understanding of the gospel of purity, how the gospel applies to purity. I tell, I tell young dudes this all the time. Don't break that woman. I tell young women, don't break that man. You've got to understand the gospel of purity and how that gospel applies to purity. What about this? What about, what about somebody that is stealing or somebody that's embezzling, right? Let's say I'm embezzling money. And, and so all of a sudden, I'm taking, I'm taking. Do you think my reckless behavior that nobody ever wants to talk about, stop, Mark, didn't do it, right? You think my reckless behavior that nobody ever wants to talk about, and I just kind of live like a bull in the china shop and do what I want, when I want, where I want, eventually I'm going to hit somebody. And that somebody might be on your team. If I... That person doesn't understand the gospel as it applies to honoring an organization. Or, or how about this? How the gospel applies now. Hey, Jason, you don't have to embezzle. You know why you don't have to embezzle? Or you, or you don't have to steal. You're teaching your 5-year-old daughter, your 10-year-old, your 10-year-old son. You don't have to steal. Because, see, if you have Christ in your life, God is your provider. You don't have to worry about who's going to provide for you. It's an improper understanding of the gospel. When, so we have to help people. Or, or what about this one? Here's a good one. I mean, none of y'all have ever dealt with this. You got anybody in your family? Got anybody in your circle of friends that's just reckless with their words? You got anybody at work that just loves to... Chop, chop, chop. Text message, text message. Did you hear about? Did you see that? Did y'all see that post? Who does he think he is? You, so, hey, you ever notice the damage? You know, when somebody has, has a reckless mouth and reckless with their words, they just swing the bat, don't they? They just swing the bat, man. Come to get you, Hutch. Be ready. All right? They just swing the bat. Just swing the bat with their words. Everywhere they go, they just swing the bat, right? Got real close, Ryan. I'm sorry. I, that's, that's, I, I got a little uncomfortable with that one, if I'm being real honest right now. I got a little, yeah. No, see, when 
You think that your words, listen to me, so many of you, we live in fellowship with one another. See, you were made for each other. You were made in covenant. God said, we're, we, it, when, when God made Adam, what's the first thing he said? It is not good that they're alone. We were made one for another. And when you live close to each other, you, you're going to get damaged. You're going to get bent. But I want to tell you, I can't think, when you've got somebody that's reckless with their words, man, whew, words go deep. See, and it's about protecting the fellowship you owe it to the fellowship. I, I want to say something to all. I'll get back on the stage now because I'm killing the camera people right now. You owe it. All of you group leaders, all of you that lead a Bible study, all you women that lead a Keys to Freedom, men that lead Keys to Freedom, men of Franklin leaders, let me tell you something. You owe it to the fellowship to protect the fellowship. That's biblical. It's not about correcting behavior. It's about redemption. It's about saying to that person, it's about saying, hey, listen, you don't understand. You're so reckless with your words, and I don't think you realize how many people actually do listen to you. And you're like hitting, you're like, we got bruised people because you just get reckless. And I, I've, let me just say, I've learned about people that will gossip, man. Hey, for all y'all don't realize this, People that will talk to you about somebody will talk to somebody about you. Right? You better know it. And they, they have to understand the gospel of, of what it means to love one another. You know what I love about what Paul did? He didn't go to Facebook. Paul didn't send messages. Paul loved Peter, and he went straight to him. Straight to him, because that's what you do. That's what love does. That's what love does. There's nothing loving about chopping somebody up when they're not around. The Bible says, see, somebody that's willing to do that doesn't understand the gospel as it applies to the tongue. Because what happens in the book of James and what happens in the book of Proverbs is the Bible says that actually you have the power of life and death in the tongue. You can commit spiritual assassination with the tongue. Don't do it. And it is so easy. And if I'm being really, really 100% transparent with you, I've done it. And so have you. But we, we can't let it go because it's not loving. It's not, it's not an understanding of who the gospel is. I love what Tom Landry, that famous coach, said in Dallas Cowboys. Tom, Tom Landry said it this way. Tom Landry said, you encourage what you tolerate. And for all of you that are corporate leaders and that you have a small business or you're in the corporate space, man, I'm telling you what a great quote. You encourage what you tolerate. Because had Paul, had Paul not stepped into this situation... now. Pull back to the fellowship part of it. What, what would Peter have thought? Well, Peter was, Peter was, making, he was living out a, a certain lifestyle that made everybody think, well, I guess that, so you got all these new Christians, and he's going, well, I guess, I guess really as converted Jews, may, maybe, maybe, we, we, maybe those people are separate. We don't have to deal with them at all. Maybe, maybe, it, maybe it's okay. You see how far this can go? 
Maybe it's all right. So Peter and Paul had to step into that whole thing because you encourage what you tolerate. And, and so if you're willing to tolerate something, it sends a signal, well, I guess that's okay then. And for, for a non-believer who's trying to, or maybe for a young, even a young believer who's watching with like really, you know, pure eyes how the church plays out, we have to protect the fellowship that we don't encourage what we tolerate. Did you notice in the story, what was it, where was it Paul said, verse 13, the rest of the Jews joined Peter in his hypocrisy with the result, verse 13, that even Barnabas was carried away. Barnabas was no rookie. Even Barnabas was carried away. This had real consequences. Here's the third one, though. Real love, real love restores for the kingdom's protection. Remember, Accountability is not about correcting behavior. God has never called you to be the spiritual police. God has never called you to be proactively going and looking for who to correct. Okay? If you enjoy this kind of thing, that's a whole different planet. This is not about you going and looking for problems. Because first of all, you're going to find them. They're everywhere. But real love restores for the kingdom's protection. So why, why, why was Peter doing this? I mean, why, why was Paul doing this with Peter? Because as I just said, had this gone on, then, then that was going to send a message <clears throat> that ethnicity and ethnic lines, this is important, that ethnic lines in the church were okay. So now fast forward that to 2022. Well, I guess maybe it is okay that Americans don't really associate with people from India. Maybe it, maybe it is okay. Maybe it is okay that American Christians and Latinos don't eat together. I mean, that's okay, right? Or South Koreans. Well, maybe, maybe well, because if this had kept going, if this had kept going for hundreds and hundreds of years and, and Paul had not done something, then all of a sudden you got ethnic lines that are, well, I guess that is okay. And so fast forward to 2022, maybe, maybe it is okay that white people in America, we don't have to let black people be a part of our, our church. See how dangerous that gets? So there's a kingdom. Paul, let me tell you something about Paul. Paul loved Peter, but he didn't just love Peter. He loved God's kingdom. He didn't just love God's kingdom, he loved God. And he loved God too much, and he loved Peter too much, and he loved the fellowship too much to act like this didn't have ramifications. Because it did. See, real love seeks to restore. And those guys were able to restore it. You see, later on, they, they were able to restore it. But this goes to show that even on the, among the apostles, all was not always well. See, they had to learn to live out the gospel. And this is what freedom is all about. This is what I've been telling you for weeks and weeks and weeks, that the foundations of freedom, the foundations of freedom are about street-level pavement gospel lifestyles. And how does that play out in real time? Because this is the other side of freedom. The other side of freedom is that people that have stepped off the cliff or have gone outside the boundaries of Scripture, that we love them too much to let them stay there. We love them too much to let them stay there. 
So every time we have to, <clears throat> and hopefully it's not often in your lifetime, but you have to be willing to talk to somebody you love when they're outside the boundaries of Scripture. It's the most loving thing to do. And I want to say to you another word. If somebody comes to you and says, I really do think you're outside the boundaries of the Scriptures here. Your first reaction is going to be probably like mine would be. And what's your name again? Who are you? How long have we known each other? <laughs> I mean, you're going to have this. We are human-sized, man. We're going to have. But let me tell you something. If you can do it, force yourself to listen. They may not be right, but they could be. They could be. I want to tell you something. And I've said it so many times, and I'm going to say it again. Don't ever tell me you love me. I mean it. Don't you do it. Don't you tell me you love me. If you don't love me enough to see me walking down a path that's going to hurt me or my family or my friends or my kids, you see behaviors in me that are recurring, not one-offs, recurring patterns, and you don't say something to me, I'm going to say it to you a different way. Just how much do you have to hate me not to talk to me about that? I mean, I need that. And if that person is you and somebody comes to you and they love you enough, it takes a lot of guts to go to somebody. Think about how much guts it takes to go to somebody and say, man, I love you. Hey, sister, I love you. I do. But I, I want, I want you, have you, have you stopped for a second to think about this? Now, I want to tell you something. If you go down, if you do that, I want to tell you something. You're going to be misunderstood. Okay? You're going to be misunderstood. You are. And don't be surprised if you're, if you're not talked about. Because sometimes wounded people do that. They were wounded before that conversation, and they're wounded after. You ever notice that hurting people hurt other people? You ever notice that? Hurting people hurt people. So you may be misunderstood. You may even be talked about, right? You may even lose the friendship. And a lot of times you'll find that, you know, I've always said, and this isn't biblical, this is just Jason, but I think a friendship is measured by what it can endure. What can it endure? You may have some people that you thought were friends, but really were more like fair weather acquaintances. And I think there's probably a lot more of those in our lives than we think. But real friends, you can receive it because you know where it's coming from. You know it's coming from a place of love. See, truth, truth is a healing agent. And it's really funny. We don't get mad at our doctors, right? We don't get, it's really funny. Y'all, am I the only one who thinks this is funny? Like, you know, you don't walk into like your general practitioner, got all these symptoms, you know, and they say, well... You know, your problem is, is your liver. Well, who do you think you are telling me that? Where do you get off? You don't know me. Well, I know your blood work. You know? No. We don't get mad at people trying to help us get out of debt and telling us the truth. We only get mad, it seems like, 
when people love us enough to tell us about places in our lives that are broken, and those broken places are breaking other people too. So if we're going to live in this thing we call community, man, I don't know about y'all, but for me, I take that seriously. I really do. I take it seriously that we love each other enough to, to bring the truth of the gospel into the situation. Love covers a multitude of sins, the Bible says. It covers a multitude of sins. And I'm even going to go so far as to say that love that cares enough to restore covers a multitude of future sins too. And that's what real love looks like. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.